Father, I thank you that you give us opportunities to share your word, to share your son, Jesus, and the salvation that he brings to us. I pray that you would help us to cut through the spiritual deception which is there. And whoever we talk to, I pray you would enlighten them. Use us to do that. We know we are not the ones. It is your Holy Spirit that does that, the paraclete that comes alongside. We pray that you would inspire us, that you'd help us to be those witnesses. And we know it's so important, Lord, because you love the people so much. You sent your son to die for them as well as us. So, Father, as we are getting into your word this morning, I pray that you would help us with understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we might be witnesses, the filling of the Holy Spirit, that you may manifest yourself amongst us, and the gifts that we may be faithful to carry out your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been covering the baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm going to do my best to wrap up this section here. This is going to be the third week that we're on it, but I just wanted to go a little more in depth. And I haven't gone down to the 12-foot mark at the pool end. I'm only at about 10 feet or so, or maybe 8 feet. And there's a lot more to it, but I just want to give you the overview. So baptism of the Holy Spirit... It's simply providing us or giving us the ability to be witnesses or martyrs. That's it, bottom line. And when I say witnesses, that means when we share our faith, it can also mean literally giving your life, your physical life for someone else. That's what God gives us the power to do, and we're willing to do it. Then there's the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is the manifestation of the gifts. Now, specifically, people have a problem, and I'll get into it in a minute with the cessationists, but they have a problem with the sign gifts, not the gift of teaching or anything like that. They they have a problem with the tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the gift of healings and prophecy, which is out there. They say those are not for today, and I'll explain that a little more. I believe that the gifts are still for today. And the Holy Spirit is still working in the same way. And then there are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which accompany the filling of the Spirit. And sometimes these things are just mixed together, put in a blender, and I think they're distinct. I think that they're things that take place that the Holy Spirit does, and it's explained to us in Scripture. Now, we have to have proper doctrine if we want to live properly, because what we believe determines how we act. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, watch your life and doctrine, closely persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So it's necessary that we hold to doctrine. Now, doctrine has been given to us so that we might have a proper understanding of God, of man, of sin, of salvation, of judgment, and of life in general, how we're supposed to live in this world. That's what doctrine is for. And if we don't have the proper doctrine, we're not going to live correctly. If we don't believe that God is eternal, he's all loving, but he's full of judgment as well, and he's compassionate, and all those attributes of God, if we don't have the proper doctrine of God, we're not going to live properly. If we don't have the proper doctrine of judgment and sin, we're going to live opposite the way the Bible tells us to because that's our bent. That's the way we're going to go. And it's a constant struggle to live under proper doctrine. God told us that. You're going to have trouble, tribulation in this life if you follow Jesus Christ. Now, I did leave off 
with the being slain in the spirit. I talked about that a little bit and I get, I told you guys why people succumb to this. I told you number one, poor instruction. They, they don't have the right doctrine given to them from the scriptures. I got to tell you this side note. I couldn't believe I saw this and it was posted originally in 2014. There's a church in Africa where the pastor told the people, well, he, he was riding them like a horse. I kid you not. The people were there and he'd get on them like a horse and he'd go around the sanctuary. And then he told them to go out and eat grass and they pour out of the church and they start eating the grass. And I was dumbfounded. How do people get to that point? And who is that guy? That guy's got to be demon-filled, you know, to have the church do stuff like that. How do we fall into that type of practice? Well, poor instruction, power of suggestion. We're in the flesh. And I'm going to add a fourth one that I didn't add last week. Peer pressure. I was listening to a message, and I like Mike Winger. I think he's really good on uh, YouTube. And he, he has the right spirit, the way he teaches. I just, I get a lot out of what he has to say. And he has this thing, I think it's every Friday, 20 questions. And he just goes through 20 questions. Well, this was a special teaching that he had, and I was listening to him. And he's talking about being slain in the spirit. It just happened to be on there. And he said when he was young, and his father wasn't around much, and a family that was in his neighborhood invited him to church. So he started going to church, and he went to a vineyard. A vineyard church. Now, a vineyard, if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, John Wimber separated from Chuck Smith and they broke off and they started the vineyard movement. And I don't know if there are any vineyards left today, but he went to one of those churches and they're going to pray for all the youth to be, quote, slain in the spirit to receive the gift of tongues. And so they were all standing around. Mike Winger's describing when he was 13 or 14, this took place. And they told him, a guy may come behind you and place his hand on you. He's just going to be praying for you. And so all these other kids start speaking in tongues around him. And he's not. And he could hear the guy behind him go, (sighs) waiting for him to speak in tongues. You know, he's not speaking in tongues. (sighs) Come on, buddy, just get with it. Do the motorboat thing. Start that thing up. Just start speaking in tongues. And he said, what happened was, he saw all of his friends at 13. He knew nothing about the Bible back then. If you remember back to when you just got saved, you don't know anything. And so he goes, okay, well, I guess I better do this. So he tried to start speaking in tongues. And he said, he faked it just so that the people would be satisfied with him. His friends wouldn't feel like, Oh, he doesn't have it. He's not so spiritual. And you see how the pressure works like that? And it's so easy to do. If if you're going with the flow, you want to go with the flow. You don't want to go in the opposite direction. So you just kind of go with it. And he came out and, and his teaching goes, I totally faked it. I didn't know what I was doing. He was speaking from his own spirit, so to speak. He wasn't being guided by God in that. And so that's why people succumb to that. And we are all easily duped. Have you ever believed something that was on the internet and it found out it wasn't true? It's like, the internet, can't we trust that? Isn't that all-knowing Google? It knows everything which is out there and we can trust everything it has? No, we can't. And all of us, to some point or another, have been deceived 
And it can be by the power of suggestion, the poor instruction, the being in the flesh, wanting to conform what's in there, thinking you're getting something good that nobody else has. All of those things. You don't want to disappoint leaders. You don't want to disappoint your friends. And you want to feel part of the group. So that's one of the reasons why. It is not doctrinal to be saved. It's not good doctrine to be slain in the spirit. So going on. Who can receive the baptism of the spirit? Anyone can receive the baptism of the spirit. It talks about that in Luke chapter 11 and John chapter 7 verse 38. It talks about... Uh, the spirit being given whoever believes in me as the scripture has said streams of living water will flow from him and by this he met the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive up to that time the spirit had not been given since jesus had not yet been glorified now some people say this is the baptism of the spirit some people say this is the indwelling of the spirit it really could apply to either one but the disciples had already received the spirit i gave you this verse last time i just wanted to reiterate in john chapter 20 verses 21 and 22 remember jesus showed up after the resurrection before his ascension he breathed on his disciples and he said receive ye the spirit king james receive ye the spirit and he breathed on them so they had the indwelling spirit then then what happened on pentecost that's when they got the baptism of the spirit and then they were filled with the spirit and then they spoke in tongues other languages which were there and so that's the sequence which takes place but what about those who say well that was for then the establishment of the church that is not for today why do people say that why don't they want the gifts like that because they don't see that the gifts are in operation like they're supposed to be or maybe they've seen them misused and so they discount the whole thing is that what's going on if you have your bible or you have an electronic bible i want you to turn to first corinthians chapter 13 the love chapter and i'm going to explain this belief that the gifts have ceased now somebody who holds to this and somebody i really admire i love his teaching i love his ministry i think he's done a fantastic job uh, when it comes to the gifts here, I, I part ways. And when it comes to reform theology and how you're saved and double predestination, I don't hold to that view either. But it's John MacArthur, Grace Community Church. And I love listening to him because he, he's, I wish I could be like him in the way that he teaches. I, but, you know, God had me born without a leg and an arm. And compared to him, he has six legs and six arms. I mean, he could just, he's really good at it. Okay, so I, I want to get that out in front. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, and he's just one of the people that believe that. And if, it's funny, I don't know if you know who John Piper is, but John Piper is of the same Reformed bent, but he also believes in the gifts. Uh, there, this guy I used to know years ago, Peter Garrick, he was part of counseling. We would refer people to counseling to him. He lived in Santee. He was also a Reformed charismatic. And those things are like, what? I, I don't get it. That's like an apple being paired with an orange and they're melded together. It, it, it doesn't happen like that. But these particular people, they hold to both. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, this is the love chapter. And it, it gives a little uh, teaching about what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is enduring. It does not keep wrongs of, uh, uh, keep track of wrongs committed against it. And then it says love never fails in verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And you go, oh, okay, so prophet, there's going to come a time when prophecy is not going to be used. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Nobody's going to be speaking in a tongue that they were not born with unless they learned it. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now that's a bigger one. Knowledge. Knowledge is going to cease. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So this is the text that is used. And it's the way you interpret the text. So both those people who are cessationists and myself, we would agree, these gifts are going to come to an end. They're not going to be necessary. The question is, when does it come to an end? Now, I'd like to look at the text, and what is in the text is what you're supposed to gain understanding with. And it says when perfection comes. Now, this is where the rub is. So when perfection comes, then these gifts will cease. And in the view of the cessationists, when perfection comes, they say that that is the total revelation of God given to us in the 27 books of the New Testament. Once that is given, they believe the gifts go away. They no longer exist. It's kind of cryptic here what's going on. And it goes on to explain... When I was a child, I talked like a child. Okay? Is the church in its infancy? No. It says, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish, or put childish ways behind me. Is that referring to the church then maturing when it gets the full word of God in the New Testament? Is that what it's referring to? Let me ask you, do you think most people in the church are mature? You look across the world and churches are having their people eat grass and ride around on them like horses and get whipped by the pastors, spanked by the pastors. I think there's a problem in the church. Now, there are those who are fully mature. That's correct. And we have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. That's correct. But let me go on. Now, when we see a poor reflection in a mirror, then, now this is giving a time reference, Then we shall see face to face. What will we see face to face? They would say, it's the scripture. We see the face like man in the mirror. We see the scripture. The scripture tells us who we are, what our problem is. We become fully mature and we move on. And we bring disciples in. And it says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Do you know fully everything about Jesus Christ? (laughs) Ain't no way. That's a little southern accent there, or southern talk. We don't know everything about Jesus Christ that we should know. We have limited information. Remember the prepositional statements? God is love. God is. And we give these separate little statements about God. We can't fully know him. When will we fully know him? And when will we be fully known? I can tell you this. I don't think I know any of your middle names, if you have middle names. I have no idea what your middle names are. You know, I'm having a problem as I get older. What's your first name again? Even though I've seen you for 10 years, you know, or whatever the case is, you start getting older and you forget those things. And, and so it's this idea that, wait, at the same time, it says, I will be fully known. 
Is that when the scripture comes? Or is that when we see Jesus face to face? Yes, that is when we see Jesus face to face. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, it says, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And so scripture talks about this in Hebrews chapter 8, in verse 11. It says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. That's when Jesus is here. I think it's a, quote, unquote, a specious argument to say when perfection comes, that refers to the New Testament. I think it's a proper interpretation of the scripture. We will know, I will not have to ask anybody, the billions who are in heaven, what's your name again? It's never going to happen. And I'm going to know that person just like they're going to know me. And you're going to know everyone up there. How are you going to do that? We're going to be fully known who we are. And we're going to see Jesus face to face. That seems to be the simplest interpretation of the scripture. And that's Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is probably the best explanation. Face to face when I'm fully known. That's not when the scripture is canonized. When we have the full 27 books put into one line. So I'm going to lump these things together. The baptism, the filling, and the gifts of the spirit. I believe the gifts of the spirit are for today. And you can do extensive reading on this. And again, if you don't agree with it, okay, we can sit down and have an argument, excuse me, a discussion about it. We, we can go over these scriptures, and I love doing that. That's good, and I don't get all upset and start shaking. It's like, okay. By the way, when I was talking to the Jehovah Witnesses, I started to feel that coming on. You know, when you witness somebody, okay, I'm getting a little nervous. Calm down, Bill, calm down. And, and you get that way. You don't have to get that way, but... Lord willing, we'll, we'll make it through those times. But getting back to the baptism and the filling of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, you put those together, and I have given you at least some a cursory scriptural evidence for why I believe the gift of the Spirit and the gifts, the gift of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. They are still here. And it's limited. I understand that. There are many more verses we could go to to discuss this, but I want to give you some historical evidence for this. Now, normally, if Jesus taught it, it's in Scripture, the disciples practice it, you're on solid footing as far as the doctrine is concerned. And then if you see it practiced in the church over time, over history, then you know that, okay, if those things exist jesus taught about it or the apostles taught about it it's in scripture it's practiced in the church it continues till today then okay i I think you're solid on that as solid as you can possibly be so let's go back in history this guy by the name of ignatius an incredible guy i read some of his writings from 35 to 100 a.d so he was alive during the time of jesus And it's said that he personally gave words of prophecy. And I read what he had to write about the Antichrist. Things he really could not have known. I'm just going, wow, this guy is insightful who this Antichrist is going to be. And you could see how it's prophetic what he's talking about, the Antichrist in there. And he has several writings that he put out there. And if you want to look up at some of these things, you can go to cambridge.org and you can look them up and you can read some of the things that many consider prophetic. Then there's Justin Martyr, 100 AD to 165 AD. He was born after the time of Jesus Christ. He writes 
now it is possible to see amongst us men and women who possess gifts of the spirit of God. Okay. Now the canon of scripture was not codified by the church until 325, the council of Nicaea and Constantine and all that. But the, the documents, the letters were already being circulated in the church. All the church did was say, yep, those are scripture. And because the church, the Constantine and the priests said it at that time, does that mean that confirms it's scripture? No, we just recognized it at scripture at that time. So that was at 100 AD through 165 AD. Then there's Irenaeus or Irenaeus, 130 AD to 200 AD. And in some of his writings in a chapter 32, he had prophecies, healings, and tongues in his day. Now, I'm going to read to you what was written. It says here what Irenaeus wrote, and he wrote a lot. Wherefore also, those who are in truth his disciples, receiving grace from him, do in his name perform miracles, so as to promote the welfare of other men according to the gift which each one has received from him. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have thus been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions. They utter prophetic expressions. Still others heal the sick by laying their hands on them, and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remain among us for many years. And what shall I more say? So this is in the year 200 A.D. This is 100 years, more than 100 years after the church had its beginnings. And then against heresies by Arrhenius in 180 B.C., he writes this. He says, Wretched men indeed who wish to be pseudo-prophets forsooth, but who set aside the gift of prophecy from the church. He goes on to write, For in the epistle of the Corinthians, he speaks expressively of prophetical gifts and recognizing men and women prophesying in the church. So again, this is a couple hundred years or almost a couple hundred years after the church. Augustine, 354 to 430. He speaks of, in the City of God, chapter 8, of miracles which were wrought that the world might believe in Christ and which have not ceased since the world believed. That's Augustine. He was big in the Catholic church. Huge. And if you went against him, you were killed. You're considered a heretic. And then I'm going to jump several centuries forward. John Wesley, of course, John Wesley, you know, he believed in the gifts. He wasn't reformed. And he had Whitehead as on one side, John Whitehead, and had John Wesley over there. In 1750, he writes, the grand reason why the miraculous gifts were soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry formal orthodox men began to ridicule whatever gifts they did not have themselves and decry them all as evil madness imposture. So he felt there were people during his existence back in the uh, 18th century, 1700s, that would come out and say they don't exist because they didn't have the particular gifts and they were jealous and it was of the flesh. Then Charles Finney, who was a Presbyterian minister, but he didn't hold to the Reformed teaching. And if you don't know the Reformed Arminius teaching, that can take you a lifetime to figure it out. You know, there's so much written in John Calvin and Martin Luther. And, oh, it's just, it 
breaks my head just trying to communicate some of that stuff. But it, the idea is Charles Finney was a Presbyterian minister, which was on the Reformed side. And by the way, the Reformed side, many on that side say some are born to believe and some are born to die. God creates them to go to hell. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what scripture has to say. Well, Charles Finney, 1792 to 1875, into the 19th century. This is what, he wrote so much about this. He said, and by the way, Charles Finney rejected a lot of the beliefs of the reformers. So uh, he was kind of in no man's land there. Indeed, it seemed, and he's talking about the baptism of the spirit. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. And he was having this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And his his, um, helper, his uh, secretary comes in, sees what's going on. He goes, can I do something for you? And I'm giving Bill's version of what's going on. He goes, no, 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 I'm okay. And he was experiencing something in the physical realm that was manifesting itself because of the baptism of the Spirit. And you can read all about Charles Finney. And and then another one, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody? He believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and cried out for it. And, and so what happens with these cessationists? I, I think it is, they're just misguided. They want to be accepted. It's the same thing with the, the slain in the Spirit. That's the camp I'm in. I'm not changing the camp I'm in. And I'm going to die on this hill. It's like, okay. But I consider all these people my brothers and sisters. This is something we don't have to argue about. We don't have to take that hill. We don't have to uh, be in danger or put others in danger because they believe differently. God sorts it all out. As long as you believe in Jesus Christ, who is depicted in the scriptures, we're all good. Some of these things are peripheral issues. Now, there's some dangers concerning the acceptance of the triplet, the baptism, the filling, and the gifts. There's some dangers in that. We talk a lot about theory about the working of the Spirit without ever letting God disturb our lives in any significant or creative way. It's like, oh yeah, I believe in the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit and the gifts, but you know, that's for other people. My dog's at home and I'm comforted with my dog. Not the, I love dogs, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. Cats on the other hand? No, I'm kidding. It, it's, this, it's this idea that we don't let God affect us. We're so concerned with this world that God does not have any impact in our lives whatsoever. And we don't want that. That's a danger. You can believe in this, but it doesn't affect you. Also, we simply give up because the subject is all too confusing and we push the subject to the edge of our thinking. Ah, I don't want to hear about it all. They just go on and on and on and I'm not even going to talk about it. God doesn't like that. He wants us to know everything he has in his word and it takes a lifetime. And when we're done learning, he takes us. We go home. And so we want to make sure we're not saying, oh, it's just too hard to understand. No, I don't think it is too hard to understand. You have to struggle with these things. And then we hungrily flock after an emotional experience of the Spirit on which we build our theology regardless of the Bible's teaching. We don't struggle through the issues. And a lot of the Assembly of God churches do that, you know. If you show up to Assembly of God Church, they're after the next big physical high, they get the feels on the inside and, oh, God was present there. And that's all they go for, but they don't care what the scripture has to say. 
when I first got saved, came back to San Diego from Palm Desert, a guy who I found out later was a homosexual, he took me to Faith Chapel. And we were friends, quote, friends. And uh, went to Faith Chapel, and I, you've heard me tell the story, if you've been here long enough, where everybody would bust out speaking in tongues at one time. And I just sat there. like, This is weird. This is strange. And Paul even says that. People are going to think you're crazy if you're doing that kind of stuff. And so they would go there for the emotional experience, the speaking in tongues and some of the operations of the gifts and all of that. So I've come to the close on this. I've dealt with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is different than the filling of the Spirit. Filling of the Spirit is the manifestation of the gifts, the sign gifts, whether it's healing, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, all those things. And also the gifts that we each have, at least one gift. It may be tongues, it may not be tongues. Whatever gift you have or gift mix you have, that's what God has determined that you should have according to his Holy Spirit, who is the one that is over the church here on earth. And he points us to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ points us to the Father. So the question remains, do you want to be a witness for Christ? That's the big question. And if the answer is yes, I want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. If I ask you the second half of that, do you want to be a martyr for Jesus Jesus Christ? Will you die for him if you're called upon? I don't want to die. I don't want to die either, but we all die, right? And I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer either. Who wants to suffer? Who wants to stand up for that? The crazy man stands up for that, right? We don't sign up for that. But God would give us the grace if we ever went through that. So do you want to be a witness for Christ and have boldness and go out there and just find somebody on the street who has a rack there, two Jehovah Witnesses sitting there, or somebody in the park that you see, or just go up to someone at some time, don't even have to know who they are and give them the gospel? Do you want that kind of boldness? It's kind of scary to do that. But do you want the boldness? This is what the disciples got. They went and they witnessed to everybody. This is what the apostles had. If you want that, You simply ask God, God, can I have the baptism of your Holy Spirit? That's it. You want to be a witness? You ask for it. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? No. Wait a second. What does that mean? Am I going to get weird if I ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit? And no, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. You're not going to lose control, so to speak. Might I have something of the feels on the inside if God does that? You might. What if you don't? Doesn't mean you don't have it. How'd you get saved? By faith, right? Yeah, it's God, save me. I'm not quite sure how this works, but I, I want to be saved. Okay. Did you have a feel then when it happened some people got the chills some people just walk forward and go yeah i'm here i want to be saved and that's how it works so it it, you have both of those when i gave you the scriptures and acts how one time it was tongues and other times it was tongues and prophecy another time we're not told what's going on we have no idea what happened maybe there's some manifestation maybe some more cloven tongues of fire over there we have no idea what it was but something was going on and it has not ceased So do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you want the boldness to tell others about the salvation he offers? If you feel you lack 
that ability to do that, but you want it, all you have to do is ask for it. And you might, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you might receive a spiritual gift, not just tongues, prophecy, discernment, giving, mercy, service. There's like 14, 16 different gifts that are listed in Scripture. You could have one of those. If you're yielded to God, he will bless, guide, and direct. That's how it works. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my flesh I get scared. God, do you really want me to do that? I don't know exactly what you're going to give to me. I have to surrender completely. He only gives good gifts. Now, I'm going to pray for everyone in here that you'd get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you get the filling of the Spirit, that you would get a gift of some kind. Now, I will say this, that if you think you're getting the gift of tongues by the Holy Spirit, I don't know if there is somebody in here who has the gift of interpretation. I don't know that. And because I don't know that, since the spirit of the prophets are under the control of the prophets, you don't have to go wild. The scripture says, every time a tongue is spoken, two or at the most three, that's it. No more than that. There must be an interpretation. So when I pray for you and you get the filling of the spirit and you think you got tongues, just don't speak because I don't know if anybody has the interpretation. And that's that's a whole nother can of worms. The last thing I'd want at the end of the service is somebody speaks in tongues, nobody interprets, and I don't know if the person who has the gift of interpretation doesn't speak up or the person who had the gift of tongues did speak up and maybe they weren't supposed to or, or maybe they're supposed to and the person doesn't speak. Yeah, it just gets too confusing. And people will go, that was weird. And they walk out of the church and they have no idea what was going on. So I'm just going to pray for you guys that you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you get the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you want a gift, you pray while I'm praying, Lord, I want that gift. I want the gift of healing. I want a clear children's hospital. Now, I don't know that God works like that here in our country right now. He could. I know he does in other places where the gospel needs to go out. There's reasons for that. And this study, like I said, it can be so much larger. But we need to move on. We need to see what Peter had to say to the people. And that's what's going to be next week. So I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word says that the baptism of the Spirit is real. That the filling of the Spirit is ours as we are yielded to you. And that you give gifts to your church. I would ask, Lord, that for all of us who are in here, if we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be a witness, that you would fill us. We know this happens over and over that your spirit would dwell inside and we'd be able to speak according to your will, whether it's prophecy or a word of encouragement or instruction. We know that you can do this and you want us to be operating and yielded under the power of your spirit. And for those, Lord, who want to be witnesses, who want to be able to share their faith, I pray that you would baptize them with your spirit. That they would be bold in their confession of you. That they would not have any hindrances whatsoever. But you would also, Lord, help us to be zealous with knowledge and not be ignorant. And Father, we'll trust you for this and also for anyone in here, Lord, that would desire a gift. Whatever that gift might be, one spelled out in your word, I pray that you would grant that. 
And we know you do these things not according to what we have done, but only because you are a gracious King and Messiah. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless us with these gifts. And we ask that it would manifest itself over these weeks to come, that we'd be those true and faithful witnesses of yours. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing a closing song.